Zion stepping back, pulling the trigger, and hitting a three. There's a lob to Zion, and he finishes over DeRozan. Here's Zion for three, hit it again. Zion gives it up, gets it back, got it again. Zion for four for four. Welcome to the NBA. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Guests are in the book. Open lines for the first time in a long time. You can jump in on that headline of the day. That was Zion Williamson. What did you think of his NBA debut last night? It went slowly for a while, and it was spectacular and record-setting in the end. The Pelicans rookie scored 17 straight points. He finished with 22 overall, the most ever for any New Orleans player ever in their NBA debut. 22 points in 18 minutes, 8 of 11 from the field, 4 out of 4 from three-point land. Remember, a lot of people questioned his perimeter abilities, and they questioned, can he take his 6'7"285-plus body into the trees that populate NBA defenses and still excel the way he did at Duke at the college level on his way to National Player of the Year honors and ACC Tournament MVP honors? Well, he did a little bit of both. He hit all of his three-point attempts. He attacked the rim. He grabbed rebounds. He passed the ball. He penetrated from the perimeter. He was really, really good late after being a little bit slow to the game early. He did re-enter with the Pelicans down 10 points to San Antonio. By the time he left the game, the Pelicans were up by one after being down by 10. So it was not a selfish spectacle. It was an uplifting Zion individual performance. It was an uplifting to New Orleans performance. The Pelicans, some believe, can rally and make the playoffs this year. Regardless, you're going to get a lot more eyefuls of Zion Williamson on TV. He was in the late game last night, so if you tuned out after three quarters, five points for him through three quarters, four turnovers. It looked like his NBA debut was going to be a debacle. He turned that frown entirely upside down. Pelicans did not get the win against the Spurs, but Zion certainly looked really, really good. And if you didn't see it, Alvin Gentry, formerly of App State, the Pelicans head coach, he did say after the game, y'all, I'm smart enough to know that leaving Zion in the game was the right move there. Like, I'll anticipate all of your questions. I took him out with five minutes and 23 seconds to go. I heard the fans yelling, we want Zion. I could tell that he scored 17 points in a row. I am an NBA head coach after all. But under doctor's orders, he was on whatever. Call it, maybe it's too early to call it load management since he's only playing in his first NBA game. But he's coming off a knee surgery, and he weighs almost 300 pounds. So he was brilliant in those limited 18 minutes. You're going to get a lot more of Zion as those playing time numbers increase in the weeks to come. Let's go to Will in Burlington because I think he has what I believe to be the best answer for UNC in the college basketball question of the day. Since misery loves company, and the Tar Heels lost again in Blacksburg last night, falling to 8-10 and 10 overall, dead last 1-6 in the conference standings. Since misery loves company, what was your rock-bottom moment, the lowest of all lows as a fan of any of the college basketball programs we follow around here? Because to me, rock-bottom almost always involves more than just losing games. And I will elaborate on what I mean. Like, losing's horrible, right? Anybody's an athlete, you get it. I'm a youth coach. I get it. Nobody likes losing. But rock bottom 
always, in my experience, involves more than simply losing games. I don't expect this to make you feel any better if you're a Wake Forest fan angry about another bottom-tier finish in year six under Danny Manning. I don't expect it to make you feel better if you're a Tar Heel fan and you know that Roy Williams has been coaching since the 1970s and has never been associated with a losing season at the college level. I mean, this is record-setting stuff. And even with Cole Anthony's return, remember, the Tar Heels have, among their 13 remaining regular season games, two against Duke, one at Louisville, one at Florida State. Good luck in those four, even with Cole Anthony. In the shorter term, if Cole Anthony is back, and remember he said on social media he's imminently returning, whatever. That wasn't going to be Blacksburg, but could it be Saturday against Miami and Chapel Hill? I guess it could if he's practicing today and tomorrow. Miami's beatable. Boston College is in Chapel Hill next weekend. Beatable. NC State on the road Monday night. The Wolfpack are a good team this year. I think an NCAA tournament team. Pack will be favored. But if Cole Anthony returns, you all have seen the NC State fans who are thinking hashtag NC State stuff that Cole Anthony is going to ride into town with a magic wand and uplift the the Tar Heels season and beat the Wolfpack because hashtag NC State stuff, 1-800-849-2761. What's rock bottom in basketball terms in your experience? The answers that I've seen and witnessed at four or more of our in-state schools might surprise you. Will in Burlington picked the same low point in Carolina's modern history that I picked. More of his thoughts with mine. Go ahead, Will in Burlington. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Uh, thanks for having me again, DJ. Sure, man. What's going on? Um, <laughs> this year sucks. Um, we got a lot of injuries. Um, we're losing. Um, quick trivia, if you don't mind. You know, we have only had four players that haven't missed a game this year for UNC. Yeah, and soon Roy Williams is going to have the most man games lost to injury of his 17 years in Chapel Hill. I don't think they're there right now, but given that, of course, you know, Anthony Harris is going to miss more games. Maybe Brandon Robinson will. Maybe Cole Anthony will. Sterling Manley is out for the year. I may be forgetting somebody, but they're going to have Roy's all-time most man games lost to injury. So you're not fabricating anything. That's just one of the facts here in this season of misery. Yep, and all that does not compare to the 0-1, I agree with you. Now, you tell me why rock bottom for you as a Carolina fan was 2002. Um, not only did we go 8-20, and 20, but Matt Doherty is straight up disrespected to everybody in the press conferences. He held, I mean, you've been a coach for, what, two years? Yeah. Yeah, you don't earn that right yet. He had one year at Notre Dame, took the Carolina job, had a good first year, and then face-planted all the way to, um, for those who missed Will's reference there, it was eight wins and 20 losses. That is the only UNC basketball losing record since Dean Smith was a rookie head coach in 1961. It's the only example. Maybe Roy's boys this year will also fit that category. They're 8 and 10 again. We'll see. Uh, plenty of song left to play. Are you referring to the, just the general attitude of Matt Doherty or a specific press conference or something? Uh, just the general attitude. I was 12 at the time, so I don't remember anything specific, but I remember people just oh, I remember. being disgusted with them. I remember. I'll tell you what, Darren Vaught, before I knew you and we jumped into this whole sports radio land, 
one of the crazier times in my writer-editor life. I still do some of those things, but that's what I was mainly doing back in 2002 when Matt Doherty had his 8-20 and 20 season. Not everybody realized it, but not only were the Tar Heels losing games, and, and this is what I mean about rock bottom. It's bad, miserable, when you're losing a lot. We get that. The rock bottom moments... I always believe, I've always believed something is going on beyond just the losing. And in Carolina, at Carolina in 2002, Matt Doherty had a mutiny on his hands. And a lot of people didn't know it. And UNC beat writers didn't figure it out. And we were writing in the ACC Sports Journal that there was a mutiny going on behind the scenes. I mean, parents meeting with the chancellor of the university. Parents meeting with the athletic director. Kids, players threatening to transfer. Like, even the walk-ons were unhappy. Allegations of abuse, verbal abuse, by Carolina basketball players toward Matt Doherty. So not only are you 8-20, and 4-12 and 12 in the ACC, you have a mutiny on your hand behind the scenes. How often is the athletic director agreeing to face-to-face meetings with angry parents and how often is the university president or chancellor dragged into such things? So Matt Doherty was a young and in many ways in over his head head coach. Remember, Dean Smith has re- had retired. Right-hand man Bill Guthridge took the job and did pretty well. Then he retired. And it was a weird time in Carolina's basketball history where some of the other names on their coaching tree – Larry Brown wasn't available, and George Carl wasn't going to be let out of his NBA contract at the time. And so you go from this Carolina basketball coaching tree, which is known as the greatest in the history of the sport, to, well, unless they go outside the family, I'm not sure whom they're going to hire after this Dean Smith, Bill Guthridge stretch of just amazing accomplishments and ACC titles and national titles and Final Fours and Sweet Sixteens and all of this. And sure enough, Matt Doherty, who had been on the Tar Heels 1982 National Championship team, team playing for Dean Smith, teammate of Michael Jordan and James Worthy and Sam Perkins and those guys, he was a very young head coach. And the Tar Heels reached, as one of the biggest brand names in the history of college sports, they reached a fork in the road. Either they had to do what they had not done in, like, generations, go outside the family, right? Roy Williams is a member of the family, and he came later. Bill Guthridge was a member of the family, given all those years under Dean Smith as an assistant. Dean Smith actually was a member of the family promoted from the Frank McGuire era. So you can almost say lifetimes worth of staying in the family. So the fork in the road was, do you go outside the family? It's not like there were no quality candidates out there that would have been interested in the UNC basketball job. Or do you stick to this decades-long tradition And given Dean Smith had so many successful former players, former assistants go into coaching, that you just tried to stay in the family. Well, they obviously tried to stay in the family by going all the way down to sort of the least experienced branch of the family coaching tree. Matt Doherty had one year at Notre Dame. And it was even a little bit of a bumpy year in some ways. So he gets the Carolina job, uses Bill Guthridge's players to have a good first season, and then bottoms out in year two, 8-20. and 20. And by the end of his third year, when they missed the NCAA tournament again, he was fired. But he was fired not just for 8-20 and 20 and other losing. He was fired because, like, he had alienated so many players. It had stopped becoming fun to be a UNC basketball player. Think about that. 
great private planes and great arenas and traveling the world and wearing that uniform like most walk the earth for decades after playing in that uniform talking about it as one of the highlights of their life not just their sports life but their lives and these guys were miserable and Matt Doherty was verbally abusive and Matt Doherty was crossing the line between tough love and just flat out humiliating people so you had Meetings with the chancellor, parents getting involved, guys like Phil Ford trying to play intermediary between an in-over-his-head Matt Doherty and a bunch of prep All-Americans who thought they were signing up to play for one version of Carolina and unexpectedly, in many cases, ended up with Matt Doherty instead. So it was a train wreck. And we were writing in the pages of the ACC Sports Journal back then about the dysfunction, about the parent meetings, about the chancellor being pulled in, about Phil Ford as an intermediary, about, you know, Matt Doherty firing the wrong secretary and ripping the wrong things off the walls and doing things his way, rather than, you know, he had stepped into a pretty successful culture. And rather than fully embracing the culture, he had made too many decisions where it was going to be like his way or the highway. So, of course, he alienated a lot of people, not only his own players. So losing, of course, is always the first thing that gets you fired. He could have been dysfunctional in other ways and survived if he won more. But the combination that we wrote about and our articles, if you knew me then, you'd have been even more proud than our Sportscaster of the Year awards that we have won together. Our articles to the pages of the ACC Sports Journal were taken to the UNC Board of Trustees with my byline on it. And it was said in those high-level meetings, like what the heck is going on in the Carolina basketball program that's been winning since the 1960s and just went 8-20, and 20, and now these players and their parents and even the walk-ons are unhappy and they're no longer proud to wear the Carolina uniform. They're, they hate basketball in some cases, and they're threatening to transfer in other cases. What the heck's going on? Well, I found out. I interviewed more than 100 people dating to Matt Doherty's Notre Dame days. I talked to the parents. I talked to some of the intermediaries. I talked to some of the players. Talked to some people off the record where they could be more honest and candid about what's going on. And sure enough, there was a mutiny behind the scenes. There was dysfunction everywhere you looked, and it was worse than just the losing. And it was another year after 8-20 and 20 again where Matt, before Matt Doherty got fired. But they were passing around these articles at the Board of Trustees meeting saying, this kid, David Glenn, this young writer, has talked to a lot of people and it was presented as this guy's got it right y'all are reading all the mainstream media talking about the Tar Heels are just fumbling the basketball and there's nothing in the mainstream media about dysfunction junction beyond the basketball part of it so there are my articles I was told later at the board of trustees meetings that led to the dismissal of Matt Doherty because finally people who had been in denial in some cases came to realize this is a much bigger problem than just bad basketball. And when I think of the rock bottom question of the day, that was worse than this. These guys love Roy Williams. These guys are dying inside because they feel like they're letting their coach down. Garrison Brooks is emptying the effort bucket every single night. He's just not getting enough help. The injury bug, of course, has complicated things further. Recruiting and a mass exodus to the NBA add extra layers of complication. This is not rock bottom, and you, I think the main reason why, and it applies to my examples at State, Duke, Wake, and Carolina. Rock bottom almost always involves more than just losing. Have you ever heard the phrase, you, when you have lost hope, you have lost everything? 
When you have lost hope, you have lost everything. There is, there is not an absence of hope for Carolina basketball right now. Again, it's a miserable season, and it is going to go down eventually as one of the worst years of Roy Williams' four-plus decades in coaching at the college level. But there is not an absence of hope. Why? Cole Anthony is coming back this year. You still might have a losing record. You're still going to be one of the bottom seeds at the ACC tournament. You still might be the team that after 29 trips to the NCAA tournament in the last 30 years causes Roy Williams to miss again. In fact, 10 years ago when Roy Williams had that only miss in three decades, at least they made the NIT and they almost won the NIT. This group might not even make the NIT, folks. So it's going to be bad. But the reason there's not an absence of hope the way there was in 2002 through 8 and 20 under Matt Doherty and even the year after that that did end in the NIT leading to his dismissal. There was an absence of hope. Cole Anthony will return. Some other guys like a Brandon Robinson injured last, not available last night because of injury, will return. There's hope in small quantities for this year, but there's a lot of hope for the longer-term future. You still have three-time national champion Roy Williams as your head coach. He's not going to retire on a note like this. You still have another more UNC-like recruiting class on the way. That's long-term hope. Losing plus absence of hope is rock bottom. That's what the Tar Heels experienced in 2002 and 2003 before being born again, essentially, with Roy Williams finally agreeing to come from Kansas. Losing by itself sucks miserably. Again, I get you, Duke or Wake and Carolina fans. Losing along with the absence of hope is rock bottom. If you follow recruiting, you know what I mean. This year's freshman class is like a Jeremiah Francis coming off of two years of knee injuries. This year's freshman class is, yes, Cole Anthony, but he's missed half the season so far. This year's incoming recruiting class is two transfers who have, in one case, Christian Keeling flopped at the ACC level, and the other case, Justin Pierce, not been as good as thought, although he was pretty good last night against Virginia Tech. That's not anything like a normal incoming Roy Williams recruiting class. Two grad transfers and a couple of dudes you've never heard of, and, and then this one Cole Anthony guy. Even Anthony Harris was a fairly well-regarded recruit, and he's hurt right now. There's... Small quantities of hope for this season. There's massive quantities of hope for the longer-term future. Again, if you don't follow recruiting closely, there are five-star big men coming in. There are five-star point guard coming in. There's uh, Cam Johnson's little brother, sharpshooter, coming in. The Heels have a more Duke-Kentucky-like class coming in next year. Long-term hope exists with Carolina basketball. Some short-term hope exists for Carolina basketball what if Cole Anthony returns today or tomorrow to practice helps him beat Miami on Saturday in Chapel Hill and then leads him into Raleigh to take on the Wolfpack on Monday night they could beat Boston College in Chapel Hill after that could you win three in a row with Cole Anthony after losing seven of nine without him including you know really ugly home losses to Wofford and Georgia Tech and Pitt and even Clemson beat you in Chapel Hill losing accompanied by an absence of hope, is rock bottom. I saw it at NC State in 1996 at the end of the Les Robinson era. 
you were losing and there was a lack of hope that things were going to get better. I saw it at Wake Forest under Bob Stack in 1989. They were losing and there was a lack of hope that things were going to get better. I saw it even under Jeff Buzdelic six years ago at Wake Forest. They were losing, but there was also a lack of hope that things were going to get better. Losing plus the absence of hope equals rock bottom. The closest thing, by the way, since I've only covered the ACC since 1987, the closest thing to rock bottom was not losing plus the absence of hope at Duke. It was 1995. There was losing. That is the only example in, what, three and a half decades or so? Mike Krzyzewski missed the NCAA tournament at the very beginning. Obviously, he was building something at Duke at the start. The only example, after he got things going with that Johnny Dawkins, Mark Allery, Jay Billis famous class, the only example of Kay missing the NCAA tournament was 1995. That was rock bottom for Duke in the years I've covered the Blue Devils. Why? Losing plus a scary picture. Not the absence of hope in their regard. They knew if Coach K came back, they'd be fine. But remember, the exhaustion, the back pain, the Mickey Shashevsky telling him, Michael, if you don't step away from basketball, you might be stepping away from marriage. That's how bad his physical problems were when he turned things over to Pete Gaudet in what turned into, of course, a very forgettable season filled with losses for the Blue Devils. Losing is bad. Losing accompanied by the lack of hope is rock bottom. I don't think the Tar Heels are there right now. 1-800-849-2761. Back after this on the David Glenn Show. Ruff and McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop. After this, yeah, maybe join you on a radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Lines open for the first time in a long time. You can jump in. NBA question of the day. What did you think? Zion's debut last night started slowly but ended spectacularly and in record-setting fashion. Eli Manning has retired. We're also looking forward to Super Bowl 54 with the question of the day. Which coach or player can improve his reputation the most in that big game? Andy Reid, the coach, getting the most votes. Richard Sherman among the players getting the most votes, but there are more. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. College basketball's floating question of the day is with the Tar Heels in mind after their loss to Virginia Tech last night. Since misery loves company, what was your rock-bottom moment, the lowest of all lows as a fan of any of the college basketball teams that we follow closely? Again, in my opinion, rock bottom usually involves more than just losing. Duke's scare with Coach K's medical issue in 1995, UNC under Matt Doherty and the mutiny of 2002, NC State by the end of the Les Robinson era was not only losing a lot of games, they even came up with a phrase, the Les Robinson Invitational, was like the play-in game at the ACC tournament, and the Wolfpack was always in that bottom-tier game. It became embarrassing 
but it also became an absence of hope. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to believe or stop believing that it's going to turn around. Roy Williams, given his recruiting class next year, can turn, the around, turn it around in the bigger picture. Roy Williams, given the return to the court of Cole Anthony and Brandon Robinson, his two best guards, has a chance to at least make something of this season, although obviously most of the bigger dreams are gone. Tammy wrote, writes from Mecklenburg County, DG, if you were co coaching these Tar Heels, what would you do? We make bracelets along, the, along those lines, Darren? WWDGD? What would DG do? Frank, well, the first answer is Roy Williams has a better chance of turning that around than I do. By a lot. Fair let's assessment. Just, let's yep. just start there. He's the Hall of Famer. He only has three more national championship rings than I do, Darren. I mean, only three more. What does that mean? But I guess I'll answer the question. I also have some thoughts on Antonio Brown. You can chime in on Zion Williamson, Eli Manning's retirement, the Super Bowl question of the day, the college basketball question of the day, or the other headlines at 1-800-849-2761. The sad story of Antonio Brown, the 31-year-old former Steelers wide receiver, who to me is one of the best wideouts of this century in terms of talent and productivity. Jerry Rice is atop the all-time list in that category. Guys like Larry Fitzgerald, who in his case continues to play, recently bought a piece of the NBA's Phoenix Suns. The legendary Cardinals wide receiver is on this list as well. It's easy to forget because Antonio Brown has become such an embarrassment in so many ways. He was a seven-time pro bowler, and he was a five-time all-pro. Again, all-pro means you were one of the best in your at your position in that year. Antonio Brown is 31, is already a five-time Pro Bowler. He burned bridges with the Steelers and ended up in Oakland. He burned bridges there and ended up in New England. He burned bridges there and ended up unemployed. He's already, remember, under investigation by the NFL on, among other things, multiple sexual assault allegations. And now he is facing new charges, felony battery, after reportedly beating up the driver of a moving van that was delivering his stuff to him. More on that in just a second. Your calls, too, at 1-800-849-2761. What do you want, Darren? What would I do if I were Roy Williams? Or do you want more on the debacle that was Antonio Brown? Are I you actually trying believe to put yourself in Roy Williams' shoes? You want Sounds that? like the more fun. You, you want that one? Because yeah. I think the Antonio Brown breakdown could help members of my staff in their dating lives. Isn't that intriguing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I, give you, I will give you what I would do in Roy's shoes the rest of the way, 13 regular season games remaining, and I will give you my Antonio Brown reflections because they not only address what's going on with that troubled young man. I honestly do not know. He is either mentally ill, in which case I hope he gets help, and I don't know what I could wish for him beyond that. Even his agent has said, Antonio needs help. Like, and I don't know what that means exactly when the agent says that, but Drew Rosenhaus is basically saying, I can't represent you, man, if you keep doing stuff like this. So Antonio Brown is either mentally ill or he is so reckless and lawless that he is a danger to society, and I am not exaggerating, given the laundry list of things that have now had his name in the wrong sorts of headlines. Why that story can help all of you in your dating lives, and what I would do if I were Roy Williams, along with your Zion Williamson NBA, NFL, and college basketball questions and comments of the day. That's next on the David Glenn Show.
Dabo Sweeney, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man. are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. Been? I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, 80, <laughs> Eight zero. the original Death Valley, you know, literally. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last call for phone calls if you want in on Zion in the NBA. Eli Manning's retirement, Antonio Brown's latest troubles. NFL question of the day has a bunch of good answers. Which coach or player can improve his reputation most in Super Bowl 54? Among phone callers, emails, and tweeters, I got Andy Reid for the obvious reasons. The Chiefs head coach has never won the Super Bowl, doesn't want to retire as one of the winningest coaches ever with that hole on his resume, and he's not getting any younger. Kyle Shanahan was an offensive coordinator with a big lead in a Super Bowl, so the 49ers head coach may be able to exercise some demons of a different sort. And just on the coach's side, another good answer is the 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Sala. He's 40 years old. In his earlier, earlier part of his tenure with the 49ers, he could have been fired. A lot of people don't realize that now because he is on the coaching carousel. His name has been popping up left and right. Now, all of those vacancies have been filled, but I would imagine that going into the offseason, Robert Sala, 49ers defensive coordinator, if he can figure out a way to limit Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, putting a little cherry on top of this amazing record-setting season for the San Francisco defense that has been up there, you know, in most of the numbers with the New England Patriots on that side of the ball when Belichick had another of his greatest defenses, although the Patriots fell apart for other reasons. Here the Niners are still standing. He would be a heck of a head coaching candidate in this next cycle, assuming the Niners put that exclamation point on this amazing season. Jimmy Garoppolo, Richard Sherman, among the leading vote-getters for which player has the best chance of improving his reputation in Super Bowl 54. 1-800-849-2761. So how can the Antonio Brown headlines somehow help you, my staff, and perhaps many of you listeners in your dating lives? Well, here's the bottom line. Antonio Brown's latest incident, and I don't feel the need to go back into the sexual assault allegations against him. I believe the serious and despicable nature of those speak for themselves to a great degree. He is now facing additional charges while the NFL is still investigating him. And remember, he's on the exempt list already, which means you can't play because they're investigating you for all those other very serious allegations. This is new. This is a new felony battery charge. He was asked to turn himself in today in Hollywood, Florida, where by chance I once lived. You've been to the Glen House here in Raleigh, North Carolina, Darren. I lived with a buddy of mine in Florida for a while. Let's just say the Glen House in Raleigh, while I think you would describe it as nice enough, right? Yes, absolutely. Very nice. Slumming home. compared to the <laughs> house I lived in in Hollywood, Florida. I'm dying to know where Antonio Brown lives. Hollywood, Florida is not a huge place. So I've been trying to figure out where he lives because his neighbors are mad. And where I lived in a very nice gated community, it was not my house, to be clear. Uh, you, you do not have a lot of police showing up for felony-related reasons, to put it mildly. And now it pa apparently happens at Antonio Brown's house in Hollywood, Florida, like on a regular basis, so that the, the neighbors are talking to ESPN about this or that. 
So the latest felony battery charges, I have not seen him turn himself in today, but an, a warrant has been issued for his arrest. And obviously fel felony screams serious. There can be misdemeanor battery charges. Felony is real deal, serious stuff for Antonio Brown or anybody else. So why would his latest negative headlines have anything to do with your dating world? Well, here's the bottom line, Darren, and you can apply this test as you wish to anyone you've dated in the past or might be dating now or somebody that you might date in the future. It's all fair game. You too, intern Will or intern Sam, if you are still listening somewhere. It is essential to understanding, in my experience, any fellow human being, how they treat, wait for this, the innocent bystander. You've seen my temper enough, Darren Vaught, to know that, or as I hope you would describe me as agreeable and maybe even placid 90-some percent of the time, you'd probably put me on the, you don't really want to get on DG's wrong side list somehow. Yeah, no right? doubt about it. That within small, that, whatever that small percentage is. is, within that realm I do not want to be on the receiving end of whatever kind of criticism or, or what have you you're offering up. I respect that, and I hope that number, percentage-wise, is extremely low. Maybe you can tell me after the show <laughs> privately so as not to throw me under the bus on the air on our statewide platform, and I respect that. Were I that mad, here's something I did not know as a young man that I do know now, and I did figure out at some point in the dating scene way back when, while I was observing this same quality in other people. Don't ever take things out on innocent bystanders. In other words, whether you are on a date at a restaurant and that waiter or waitress brings something out that is not right in a way that the waiter or waitress cannot see, like it's not screaming on the plate there, right? I would expect the waiter or waitress to pick that up. If your date at that restaurant blisters that waiter or waitress for something that is not his or her fault, Massive red flag. Like, don't just walk away, run. You might not need to end the relationship right there on that date, but just hear my voice in the back of your head, Darren Vaught. Call me a little bird chirping into your ear. However you handle the details is up to you. But that one's got to go. That's the bottom line. That one's got to go. Especially anybody could have a bad day. But you cannot berate somebody for something that is not their fault. Your, air, your airplane doesn't show up on time or it gets rescheduled or postponed five straight times. The poor person at the desk is, A, not the person who made the plane have a mechanical failure, not the person that, you know, had to cancel the flight because the pilot drank too much the night before and got caught prior to entering the cockpit, you know, with a blood alcohol level above the acceptable limits. Not her fault. Not his fault. So what does screaming at that person accomplish? Again, Darren, not a small red flag, a big red, big red flag. I believe you were with me once when I was clocked going really really fast <laughs> not a little not a little above the speed limit I was with you yeah you were with me one time I'm normally a driver just a little bit above the speed limit and most of my police officer friends will tell me DG man I'm not going to pull you over for going 69 into 65 even if I don't know it's you it's not a DG rule it's just a it's a general rule of thumb not that you couldn't be I mean you could be you're you're breaking the speed limit right 
when you when you go that far over, you're not allowed to be mad at the person that calls pulls you over. I mean, I, I'm sure I did not win the walk little old ladies across the street award as I was accepting my uh, state Commonwealth of Virginia ticket. Man, that one hurt. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, that one left a dent. That one required the services of an attorney in the Commonwealth of Virginia just so I didn't have more than the usual speeding repercussions. That one left a mark. I'll put it that way. Glad I experienced that with you, Darren Vaught. <laughs> but you didn't see me go ballistic over a law enforcement officer who was simply doing his job. Right. I didn't mistreat the dude. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Don't take things out on the innocent bystander. Not on the waiter, not on the waitress, not on the airline agent, not on the police officer, not on the tow tuck truck driver when you knew you left it in that spot and he or she was just doing his or her job. That's on you. Don't berate or threaten or initiate violence against someone who's just doing his or her job. That's wrong. Unacceptable. That's a sign of bad morals, bad ethics, and all the rest. Do you know this latest Antonio Brown misdeed fits this description? Can you imagine, like, I can picture being disappointed at a moving company. I can picture that. But it is a sign, again, in A.B.'s case, it could be mental illness, and I am not making jokes about that. If that's what he is, he needs help. I wish him to get that help, and I wish him well. But he's either mentally ill or... He's just one of these narcissistic, reckless, lawless threats to society. And the guy that he is accused of battering is the guy. I, when I read the headline, I thought like maybe one of Antonio Brown's many, 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 many baby mamas, ex-girlfriends, ex-wives, or assorted vixens showed up to grab their clothes that they were leaving in his guest room, right? Now, we all can picture some tension there. Oh, wait a minute. A moving guy got into an altercation with A.B.? Unless you've really walked the straight and narrow in your lives, you might be able to picture, I certainly can, the angry ex-girlfriend showing up to claim her stuff. And maybe you're hot under the collar and you're telling the dude, hey, man, you're not allowed in my house. You can't take, that's my stuff. Some of that's mine. She says it's hers. Like, I can see the possibility of problems there, even without the Antonio Brown chaos factor. The dude that he allegedly battered, do you know what he had done? And again, don't take out your frustrations on the innocent bystander. He had driven Antonio Brown's property from California to Hollywood, Florida. Now, I have no idea if you have a beef of any kind with the moving company. You might be right, you might be wrong, but I do know this, even if you're right, the dude that just drove your stuff from California, if you haven't been to Florida, Hollywood is way down near Miami, all right? So you have, how many hours would it take to drive from California to Florida? And even when you cross the Florida border, you still have like seven hours of driving to go. So that's, that's a se at least a couple day drive, maybe multiple days. And when the guy finally, I just work for the, co you know, just imagine being that driver. I know it's your stuff. You know it's your stuff. You know I don't own the company. You know I just drove through 17 different states over three days through thousands of miles. Whatever your beef is, A.B., it ain't with me. 
This is your stuff from California, as requested. That's the guy that Antonio Brown and his right-hand henchman ended up allegedly beating up, throwing rocks at his moving van, and all the rest. Don't take it out on the innocent bystander. That is, I hope, helpful as a lesson to you in the dating world and perhaps in other corners of your fascinating non-sports producer uh, lifestyle. What do you think? Have you already <laughs> have you already left? Have you already cut members of the team? If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Some members of the team fail. The way they treat. Sometimes they don't make the team. Yeah. For other reasons, maybe there's just they're just not talented enough. Maybe they don't work hard enough. Maybe they just don't fit your system. If you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Coach Vaughn. Other times they have all the talent in the world, but you see them doing this. Delivery driver, waiter, waitress, airline agent, police officer, tow truck driver, man. They're just, they're just middlemen and women. It's not their fault. Don't allow them to turn on those folks in your presence because someday, young man, that little quirk in their personality, it not might, it not might, might turn on you someday. Oh, 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 it will turn on you someday. It is only a matter of time. Take that to the bank as DG offers the bank shot. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch. Next. Throwback Justice League. You know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman. If there was a combine event where you had to talk to marine life, Aquaman is your guy. Zay Jones is dominating the three-cone drill. Aquaman is dominating the talk-to-porpoises drill. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch come. I never really had answered the what would I do in Roy's shoes. Darren, you ready for this? I'd get Cole Anthony healthy and ask him how many minutes he would like to play at point guard. Good start. You, whatever your knee can handle, man, that's how many you get. I would get Brandon Robinson healthy. I'd say, how many minutes can you play at the wing? Because you're going to have a better job description now that Cole is bet. I'm going to give Justin Pierce more minutes because of what he did at Virginia Tech last night. He's earned his way into the lineup with more respect than he had earned previously. Garrison Brooks, of course, young man, play as many minutes as you'd like at the four. And Armando Baycott, the freshman center, you got to avoid foul trouble. you got to continue on the maturity curve. But you also get as many minutes as you'd like at the five. Those five on the court together could do some good things. You go from horrifically hide your eyes bad, eight and 10, one and six in the ACC, to having a chance. The rest, Leaky Black, Jeremiah Francis, Christian Keeling, Andrew Playtech, you know, whoever looks best in practice, you're like, you're the sixth and seventh man. That, they're not a lot to choose from there, even after the heels get healthy, but that's what I would do. Darren Vaught and Brian Geisinger are part of the Gardner-Webb High Point call tonight on ESPN+. Plus. Australian Open tennis, Tennessee-UConn women's hoops, among many other options, Big Ten basketball, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Michigan State, Indiana, Lakers, Nets, Mavs, Blazers, and other NBA. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.